0: Hi, you're listening to the Football Talking Tour here on the Senior Times uh, platform. I'm Gary. And I'm Aon. And today we have a very, very special guest. Not only did he play football for Ireland, he also managed Ireland. Uh, It's with great uh, pleasure that we uh, can introduce to you Owen Hand. How are you, Owen?
1: I'm very good. And... uh you have to remember, I played for Ireland, which I'm probably prouder of. You know, so, and um, that's the real honour. I mean, getting your first cap for your country is is really something special.
2: Twenty and, caps uh, and two goals, I understand.
1: though. I yeah, I scored two. I scored one uh, in in Kiev, believe it or not. In Kiev, where they're going through a horrible time now. Mm. Yeah, and then the other one was out in Chile. Yeah, uh,
0: and Chile, you could tell us about that uh, tour. <laughs> a little bit later on because uh, it's a, quite an interesting one um so owen you grew up in uh, Drumcondra on the north side of dublin um and you your your game was largely soccer to begin with is that true
1: yes yeah, very true because i mean in those days there was an awful lot of street football because there wasn't certainly around Drumcondra where i lived uh certainly up the, where I was, Alphonsus Road, and around the side there, St. Patrick's Road, uh, there was very little traffic. So we used to have our football played. And you, I mean, you, By the very nature of it, you couldn't play Gaelic football there anyway. Yeah. So soccer was the ideal game to play. And uh, it was a great learning curve because obviously the ball would hit off a lamppost or hit off a, a footpath or something like that and come back skewy, skew ways or whatever. So it was a great way to learn playing soccer, like just playing for fun as a youngster um, and I'm talking about like at the age of say six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know all that kind of stuff so it was it was a very interesting time and of course then when the the school stuff came into it I loved my sport and um, obviously was, there was no uh, soccer in, in the schools not in O'Connell's School where I was educated um, St. Patrick's first St. Patrick's uh, uh, school which was down um but just past the Tulpah River, there, just as you go out from Condor Road towards Santry, right? Uh, so that's where I had my first education, and then moved to O'Connell's to start primary school properly. There, and then that's when I was playing Gaelic football and uh, handball. And uh, I was pretty okay at the handball.
0: Um, was there a kind of uh, a, a, a conflict between the attitude towards? Uh, Soccer and GAA that you experienced in school, or oh,
1: very much so, yeah, very much so. I mean, the Christian brothers they uh, they were totally anti the foreign game, as it was called then, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was playing with Stella Maris from a very young age, from the age of 12, you know, that was when I got into organized team football, and they were down the Richmond Road there, down from Tulker Park, uh, Stella Maris, and uh. I loved playing there, and I will never forget. Like I mean, I used, I used to used never say anything about it, but uh, there was—I mean—a photograph that appeared. I think it was in the Evening Herald of a team photograph of Stella Maris. We had done particularly well, and in it, I've turned my face away from the camera, type of thing, uh, to hide it, and uh, because obviously I'd get into trouble uh, in, in O'Connell School mm. uh, if I was openly playing the foreign game so and, it was that kind of stupid and thing, it was you know? called it was
2: it called the foreign game the, the garrison game john giles describes him being himself being called a corner boy you're a corner boy going up to dalyman park i mean what, would he, what were trouble. they what were they trying
1: yeah, to any s- insulting, insulting comments that they could think but what
2: of. what were they insulting what were they t- like for people who are maybe i don't know not irish listening to this or of a younger generation what were they trying to imply because you played soccer
1: well well, they were kind of just saying that you're representing a country that was. Uh, we were continuously at war with, you could say, which was England. And we'd only gained our independence and whatever. You know, and they talk about the 1916, and that all came into it. So you wouldn't be in patriotic, you know, if you were playing the game that they invented, type of thing, which, you know, is, is, is a fact. Um, and so it was that legacy. That was there and this I mean ridiculous that it should be still around in the fifties type of thing, you know. But this ridiculous. wasn't
2: just this, this wasn't just comments, Owen, this was brutality.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. I mean I mean I took some physical hiding from uh, Christian Bullets for the, there was always an excuse made that it wasn't because I was playing football, but it was. Because I was playing soccer. But it was. It'd be something about your homework or something and the punishment was much, it wasn't relative to what you had done in schoolwork uh, to a point where my father had died when I was 10 years of age so this particular brother, Brother Curtin, his nickname was The Bull because he was built like a bull and uh, mind you we didn't didn't let him know that that was his name but uh, he took a, well I mean he started beat me up, basically. And my brother actually told my mother, because I was afraid to tell my mother, you know, because my father is gone. And uh, it was a bully. I mean, he really was a bully when you think about it, picking on me because I had no father uh, to come and defend me. And uh, But my mother stormed down to the school and insisted on seeing the principal. And he was called in in front of us. And you know admonished for uh, doing this to me like and the principal was a fair man and he did not see that this was justified uh but i mean that actually that actually made things worse because the bull then what he did was he isolated me in the classroom and uh, so that i had nobody close to me and uh um which was very unusual so uh, uh, you had no interaction with the, the i couldn't talk to anybody in between say classes or, well you know like a, and uh, therefore there was a real spotlight on me that everything i did had to be perfect you know and then, of course then he used that excuse then to administer more more punishments you know physical punishments uh, with the leather strap it wasn't that it was beating you across the yeah with with across your backside and, and your hand you well mainly your hand and your wrists and whatever it was quite flippin' ridiculous when you look back on it. It was archaic. Mm-hmm. It was barbaric, really. Uh, I mean, the irony of that, if I was to jump forward many years, uh, Scully Connell, that's the club attached to the school. Of, of I which I am before. a member, yeah. <clears throat> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, they had this night, a famous night, Like uh, I, was, I don't know if it was yearly, but anyway, where they honoured pupils who had achieved uh, something. Uh, in their lives type of thing. Mm. And, of course, I had achieved playing for Ireland and managing Ireland uh, at the foreign game. And so they were honouring me. Uh, and it was somewhere over, I don't know, somewhere near the South Circle Road, Harrington Road or something like that. Anyway, this reception was at this kind of big dinner. And they said, "And listen, you will be delighted to hear that we've got Brother Curtin coming along. He's attending and he'll be sitting beside you. And I just went, I said, What? I said, if he comes anywhere near there, you will not see me there because I will not attend if he is coming. You can give it to somebody else. I thank you for honouring me and acknowledging, but no way will I attend because I think I could be had up for murder if I attended wow. because I have grown up, and I'm a big guy now. He's older, and I could, I would possibly just give him what he gave me. you know. So forget it. Of course, they didn't invite... Uh, the bull curtain to that particular function and it all went off
2: well so that so it so clung to you that Sorry? upbringing it, it clung to you that experience it, it, that that negative experience in school the brutality you you, you didn't shake it off it, it it has stayed with you that experience what it felt like to be humiliated well, in that I mean, way
1: it, it actually when I, if i look back on it i can say that was a help it's like I was told that I shouldn't play it and couldn't play it with all that kind of thing. Well, actually, that, that drove me on that I was going to play it more and more and more and become good at it. So you could really say in a perverse way that they gave me an inspiration to be successful at the game that they did not want me to play. Uh, so that's the way I look back on it, you know, when you take the positives from it. And, uh, and it worked out fine for me because I've had a, a, a great career and a great life you know, out of doing something that I love and there's not many people can say that.
2: Well, one last question on that. Am, am I right in saying that you weren't afforded a medal from a Gaelic football competition because you had a soccer background?
1: Yes, I was playing for Scully Connell and I was the main free-taker because of my technique. I was very good at taking free-kicks from anywhere, from 50s and anywhere, on the right side, left side, anywhere, and I'd stick them over the bar. Yeah, So I was... Very responsible in uh, winning the under 21 football championship. And uh, at this stage, I had been to Swindon Town, and f- as a professional footballer, the hypocrisy of it, I mean, they used to come back, they used to get me back over to play in these as, they, as that competition went on. I came back from Swindon. In fact, I wasn't telling Swindon Town, I was just said I was going home for uh, something special. And I'd play. It's a bit stupid to do that because if I got an injury playing Gaelic, well, then I'd be in trouble. Uh, uh, so, but I would come back, and I played every game in that competition. And then when it came to the uh, awards night in the, I think it was either the old Sheely, it was up that, that road anyway, the hotel Road there in Fairview. Yeah. The first hotel up there, or whatever it's called. And i never forget, and it came my turn, all the lads, we were all going up and queuing to get our medals. and, and uh, The president or the chairman of uh, Scully Connell was a man called Bowen, and uh, I think it was Dominic Bowen, and uh, came my turn, and he said, there's no medal for you. There's no medal for you. You played the foreign game, and I never got my medal, <laughs> which I, I thought was, my God, there's a hypocrisy, if ever, there, if ever there was. But, I mean, that's the, that's the attitude that prevailed there. And, you know, when you look back on it, as you say, trying to explain it to youngsters now, they'd say, nah, you're making that up. That couldn't be. That's so ridiculous. It's not true.
0: But it was kind so, of embedded in, in Irish culture generally, wasn't it, uh, Owen? I mean, uh, I know uh, a, a journalist, a guy who was a footballer and a journalist <laughs> that we both know. <laughs> uh, who but, could you be possibly referring yeah, who to? Talking to? <laughs> but he, he, he yes, did. Yes, I do know who you're talking <laughs> to. So referring to. Uh, he did refer to this whole idea of official Ireland and being spat at, uh, sort of playing Gaelic, but I always got the feeling that he wasn't, that this wasn't one of uh, his more kind of poetic flights of of, of of descriptive prose, that this was probably pretty much accurate. Yes, well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the
1: same guy that we're talking about, uh, I mean, Subsequently, I fell out with him, and I just would not talk to him because he, anyway, he used me to kind of promote his own ends when he finished with football, and I was so so disappointed in him. You know that he, he, you know he, he, well, he did it with all, but he did it with Liam Brady as well. Like you know, so um uh, uh, Anybody who is at the the heights, shall we say, and I as a manager, like I mean, you know, fine. played alongside him, by the way, as well for Ireland, so where he used to ask me to defend him and help him and not let him be kicked in midfield and all that. And uh, I'd say, Should... no, I will, yeah, yeah. Because I had a reputation for... Well, I was. I played the game fair but tough. Yeah. And uh, I did not have uh, any problems about making sure that he wasn't hit by anybody. So I'd intimidate whoever was marking him and they'd go away, you know. So uh, so that's, that's, that's funny. But no... Um, Going back to it, no, he wasn't exaggerating about that time. I mean, you could, you could pick. I'm sure, I'm sure there was lots of other young lads that could tell, perhaps even worse stories.
0: Yeah, I know. Did Liam Brady get. Um, he was pretty much suspended out of school for uh, playing for the Irish youth in a match against Wales, wasn't he?
1: That's right, he was. Yeah, and again, that's another great example of. I mean, Liam was a great talent. I mean, a very skillful player, and I'm sure he got. I mean, it, I'm sure it gave him a drive to be successful, which he was very successful. I mean, he's one of Ireland's best ever players. Uh, you know, and he was given, he was given the, the time and the, I the, the, uh, suppose, the, the, by, by those who cared about sport in general to be able to nurture his great talent as a soccer player. Uh, and, of course, he wasn't big physically, so I mean, soccer did suit him much more than football ever would. That's not to say, of course, he would have been a very good Gaelic footballer. You don't necessarily have to be a big Amazon or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is that the word? Uh, But um, anyway, but uh, no, I'm sure Liam would say the same thing that he was driven on by the fact that he, he had, had, go, had to go through that sort of experience as well
2: was there, was there any a conflict ever a conflict within you oh like I mean, you, you go to england then eventually you're, you're playing for portsmouth you're 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 an international <clears throat> was there ever a conflict within your head about representing this country that has treated you so poorly like you're you, you come back you're playing in Dalyman park you're, you're wearing the green jersey you're standing for the anthem you're you, you're playing under a flag but the game that you're playing has been so poorly treated by official Ireland and the attitude that teachers have shown to you as a young person has been so negative. I'm always interested in the fact that, you know, Giles has come back and done his bit for for, for, for Irish football. You've come back and done your bit for Irish football. Was there never a sense within you that you'd almost want to reject Um, you know, uh, 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 it, Ar- 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 Ireland to a degree, but you were coming back and, and playing and representing this country that in many instances, you know, the the, the the official attitude of this country was not positive towards you and the game that you that you loved.
1: Well, I mean, no would be the answer to that, because, I mean, playing for your country is such a big thing. You can't play for your country, well, you certainly couldn't then, with games, hurling or football. Mm. I mean, okay, I know they, they kind of have this uh, go-through tours or whatever, but still, it's still not an international game. So you knew that you were in a totally different world, that uh, people, the genuine people, the people who went to watch you, uh, okay, there might have been some of them who were out of that brigade, that uh, were anti, all that kind of thing, but they changed, because they knew they had to change. So when you were out representing your country, and you were in Dalyman Park or Lansdowne Road, uh, you knew that everybody there was, was totally with you and behind you. And, I mean... And that was a great help to us because uh, foreign teams would see the great support that the Ireland had because we were, in so many in instances, the underdogs. Mm. Um, and we had some great results. But no is the answer. No, you would never. That It was an era that you just confined and you say you went through the experience of it. Um, it. hard to kind of maybe explain to younger generation now what it really was like, but... There's no point in dwelling in the past because there's nothing for you there. Mm. It's positivity. Just look to the positive side of it. Now, you've gone on to play for your country, which mm. you could never do at Gaelic Games anyway. And you've travelled the world, by the way. You know, doing, again, something that you really loved. I mean, I've been all over the world, barring Australia and New Zealand, uh, doing playing, or playing and managing my country. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's a great career. and That's a great thing to have.
2: Did the sorry oh, but did it harden your attitude towards Gaelic games? Would you have a you know a bitterness? No, not at all. No, not at
1: all. I mean, I, I really did appreciate the skill of hurling and love watching it. Um, I think Gaelic football, some of the rules you know, it's become well in the modern day one, it's, it's become it can it's become like basketball a bit, mm. you know, it's, the possession game has come on so. It's not as exciting as I recall it, you know, the great days of Nick O'Connell, the great Kerry footballer, you know, and the great Dublin team of, of that era as well, like, you know, uh, where they were really skillful. Heffernan was one that stood out, you know, and uh, all these fellas, like, uh, I used to go to Crow Park and I used to really love watching uh, the big games, you know, Dublin against Kerry or whoever it would be, and the good players that were there, you know and uh, in fact became very friendly with a lot of the players that, uh, of that era um, because they appreciated what I had to go through to, to become what I became and uh, I appreciated the time and effort they put into an amateur game, by the way. An amateur game. And for, for them to become as good as they, as they could at the game that they were good at was a great credit to them. So I acknowledged all that. And it was
0: great. It was a great experience. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. I mean, you sound very. Uh, I mean, you were very successful <laughs> in what you were doing, and it, having a professional career uh, in England, by the way, it has always struck me as being an incredibly hard thing to do. What, what was your, what was your experience of, of of playing professional football like? Did you find it? Did you love it? Did you find it? Did you have to be really tough? Uh,
1: Well, first of all, fitness levels. You knew that you had to work hard in training at all levels of... uh, And look, I mean, luckily, I had good trainers and good coaches when I went to uh, Portsmouth particularly because that was the main club that I was involved with. And really, I'll never forget my debut for Portsmouth against Fulham at Craven Cottage in London. And... um, they had a player, uh, and I was just as I say, I was what it was, nineteen sixty-eight. So I was twenty-two, I think it was, yeah. And uh, we, there was a ball played over the top, and I had just got myself in the wrong position. And their centre forward, I think it was a fella called Vic Hallam, he was about uh, two or three yards ahead of me, and I thought, and I was from kind of close to the halfway line, and I just totally sprint out, sprinted him out sprinted them and of the easiest things are just tidying it up or giving it back to the keeper of what it was and that that happened in the first half and that gave me a huge confidence that i was going to be able to adapt to the pressure of this game because i had pace which is very important and strength but it was pace and strength.
0: it was quite a tough game i mean it's, it's of course it, it's always a tough game but particularly in those days, in the 50s and 60s, there's very little protection from referees. Did, you, did, you, did, that, did that benefit you, by the way? Uh, as, well, as
1: yes, a, well, yes, it did. Because, I mean, I had started off as a right winger with uh, Stella Maris. And when I went over to Swindon, I was a winger. That was straight from school in 1964. But it was when I came back from Swindon, having been let go after a year, uh, I was so disappointed. I played for Dundalk and then on Condra. And they had, at this stage, i grew up six, over just six foot, and from five eight or something. Uh, but okay, that's where my pace came from, being a winger type of thing. Mm. But then I, out of a necessity, they had nobody else, and I was six foot. All the centre backs, the regular centre backs, were injured, and I'll never forget the Proles, the ones from to Then said, "We're going to see, you put your centre back. Like, I mean, we'll see how you do." And I took to it like a duck to water. I just thought, gee, the game is much easier from here because you see all the pitch. Mm. It's all in front of you. And I had the pace, as I say, to overrun anybody. And uh, I could now, instead of being tackled out in the wing when I was a bit smaller, now I, I was the one that could read it and I could tackle. Sure. Uh, but what I did bring into it was a total commitment every game. So you were there to win by fair means. And I stress that because I never deliberately went out to hurt some somebody. I, I have heard a few, yeah, because they were they fell awkwardly or whatever. But I would tackle really hard to win that ball. Fairly, fairly. And I'd say, you know, I would be very proud to say that that's always been, you know, to, to play the game total committ- in total commitment. And okay, then at least you can say that when you come off, if you've won or you've drawn or whatever, or you've lost, you can say, could you have done any better? Well, you couldn't have tried any harder. You could say, yes, you could have done better because you made mistakes, but it was never through lack of commitment. But that was that, so, was, was I mean, that
2: something within you, Owen, or was that something within the team? Did, 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 I sometimes wonder. Oh, about no, the, no,
1: it, yeah. it, no, a good manager would, would make sure that there was a, more with total commitment than those who were not. Now, unfortunately, you always had the skillful players. We had a fellow called Mike Tribilco in his name, uh, T- Trabilko, uh, he had scored two for Everton in the FA Cup final oh, a few years before that and the reports were, did a big spending and they, they bought him and Mike was a very good goal scorer. but well, away from home Mike didn't fancy it he didn't fancy being tackled he didn't fancy it. and I remember I remember having rows with him and saying for God's sake you're costing me money you're not bothering, the manager was no good, he was just useless, because he wouldn't address him, because he was kind of, he'd come from Everton, you know, Uh, but I would, because as far as I was concerned, I was out in the pitch, and I saw him not trying, I said, for God's sake, you're not even flipping, breaking sweat, when we play away from home, you're a joke, and I'd like to think, that maybe I helped him a bit, but uh, no, that was in his nature, I mean, he just would not, Mm. if he didn't fancy it, you still get it today, I mean, great example with the likes of Pogba now, with Manchester United, uh, and a lot more players there, but uh, uh, that was something that I would never tolerate as a manager when I went into management as well. Never tolerate.
2: So you're in Portsmouth for, you, for, for yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah, I was at Portsmouth for. Yeah, you, you're uh, Portsmouth when, for yeah for eight,
2: kind of eight well eight years.
1: Um, but but I told him I'd gone I'd gone back John mm-hmm. Giles actually I'd come back to play with and uh, Portsmouth asked me to come back because you know, I, you know I'd had a row with Ian in St John. And that's why I left Portsmouth. Otherwise, I've been quite happy. And John, to his credit, like he didn't stand in my way because my family were still in Portsmouth. you know, still living there. Um, you know, it was no, it was a big, it was a big move to sort of say, well, okay, you're coming back to Ireland and uh, buying a house here and all that kind of thing. You know, which the money, by the way, wasn't. I mean, I think when I went over to Portsmouth, I was forty-five quid a week in 1968. Mm-hmm. Now, that stage, okay. I had been working down in the fruit market, and I was only something like 12 quid a week and getting the five playing for drums at the time. So now to get 45 quid a week to go full-time, wow, you know, compared to these days, like it's a, but mm. it was still very, very good. Um, and then 11 years later, after my break, and I, cause I've, I've, I've gone back to Portsmouth a second time, as I said, um, I think I was on about 120 there, something like that. So... I mean, like a plan for your country meant 50 quid or something, you know, right. um, 50 or 60 quid. So money was never, I never, because I was doing something I loved, I mean, I can look back and say that I did make mistakes because I never uh, sold myself higher than what I was offered. You know, I just accepted. They'd say, we, we're giving you this. This is your salary. And I'd say, great. Okay. At least I'm being kept on another year or another two years or whatever contract-wise. But that was never my guiding thing. It was never my first thing was to get, oh, more money, more money, more money. Never. Because, as I said to you earlier on, I always looked on it on the way that I'm doing something that I love. How many people can say that? Mm-hmm. You know, how many people are in jobs that they love? And, but I could. So, I mean, that influenced me a lot.
0: You seem to have a very positive attitude uh to to towards it uh uh own uh, to your you are playing career, a very honest kind of kind of attitude um what made you want to go into management uh and what was what was did you feel that you were a good leader of man did you feel that you 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 that it was well? what you knew as well, so you had to get a job, but you presumably had a very strong sense of wanting to, wanting to, to lead, yeah?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, because I loved the game so much and had put so much commitment into it, I was very analytical of managers, the various managers that I played under, and I would always wonder, why did they do that? Why did they not do that? So I would take the good points and the bad points And I was always thinking, well, if I ever get a chance to to run a team, I'm I'm learning from this as I go along. And I took coaching badges as well because, again, I was thinking, well, what am I going to be doing after football? Um, Not thinking that I would go on to have the success I had as a manager because, obviously, there's much fewer managers than there is players. But, uh, no, I think that helped me greatly in so much as that, and I really did analyse... The good and the bad of every manager, that I, in my opinion, that I played under. And then, with my own thoughts on the game, I would take all the good points that I got. That was a very good idea, what he did. I said, or else I'd never do that, what he did there. The way he addressed that player, the way he treated that player. Uh, And that stood to me, because I was always kind of thinking about the game. I was always wondering about uh, what went wrong in the game and how the manager judged it afterwards if he abused us for totally wrong things that in my opinion he shouldn't have and maybe praised those things that went well you know mean, that's why the likes of Ian St. John I could never he was not committed in my opinion he'd only turn up on a Friday at Portsmouth uh, having been God knows where during the week and then he'd just say right we're playing so and so tomorrow I want you to go out there and I thought this guy is not he's not he's not bothered about it. Mm. And he just say, right, now, come on, you've got to go out and win the game. And you're thinking, we've done no preparation for this game. We don't even know what tactics he wants to play. And that's what led to my rows with him, uh, which forced me to leave and go to South Africa.
2: Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again, and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To
1: learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones, make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook.
2: You played for Ireland 69 to 75. Did that influence how you were going to approach managing Ireland when you got the job as a young man in your, basically your early 30s? Like, that period of playing for Ireland, late 60s, early 70s, we're led to believe now is pretty shambolic. Um team preparation, oh, yeah. Yeah. the I FAI, mean, the Blazers. Like, how bad was it, it
1: comparing, was, comparing it
2: was. your life as a, as, a, as, a, as a footballer in England well, I mean, to, to, w- to what you had to put up with playing for Ireland?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, it was. As you said there, uh, I mean, the FAI, I mean, they were totally amateurish. They could not understand why, uh, you know, players, I mean, the way they would arrange uh, games abroad, the travel arrangements would be the cheapest way possible. I mean, highlighted by the trip we went to play Brazil, uh, in whatever year that was, was seventy four I think it was. And uh, we we got thrashed eight 0 you know. We and honestly we were it was lucky there was only eight. We were absolutely shattered from the travel arrangements. I and mean, when we played that game, half the lads were just They hadn't had night's sleep. They hadn't had anything. We'd only arrived the day before. We had to fly another journey up to a place called Bela Horizonte. And we got hammered. And it was just... And I thought, oh, my God. And then we went on to Trinidad and Tobago. And the Blazers were having a great time. You know, in, in Rio de Janeiro. Oh, my God, this is great. Oh, but they didn't have a clue. And that's what actually... When I became manager, I... Then said, "Okay, I'm not ever going to let this happen again." So you know, after I experienced that, uh, and it was earlier in my, in my early years as, as I was manager, and I took on the job of organising the travel with Ray, Ray Tracy, God rest his soul. Ray Tracy in the travel agency, and I got Ray involved, and I would get him to organise the travel. And I used to have huge rows with the treasurer of the FAI, Charlie Walters, the name. Uh, we got. I said, "Look, at this is the way we're going to travel. This is the way we're going. To, this is the hotel we're going to stay in." And I would be the one who would go to the hotels, I would get Ray if it was abroad. But I changed our hotel in Dublin from, uh, for instance, the Green Isle out in uh, South Africa on the way to Nice there, and uh, I changed it to the hotel right beside the airport because, to me, what's it's stupid, lads getting on a flipping off an airplane and then having to come all the way across the Green Isle and then go to a a training ground in Cromlin, which was ridiculous. So that made sense to me. The the hotel at the airport and then I asked uh, the Aer Lingus people to be able to use their training facilities. They were delighted. So we trained right beside the hotel. Mm. And that was... That, to me, was just common sense. Oh, okay, that, oh, oh. Owen,
2: now we have, three, we have three urban legends that we need you to confirm or deny, right? And you don't have to make any comment yeah. on them. All right. Ray Tracy is quoted as saying that he played 42 times for Ireland and 40 of them were against Poland. And the <laughs> suggestion is that there was some romantic link between an FAI official and Warsaw. And that's why Ireland played Poland so often. You know, It's
1: do, true. Do want, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's, it's ridiculous because there was a with uh, not just one guy, one one blazer, but uh, a few of them. No that names now.
2: No names. But anyway, so you can confirm yeah. that there was yeah. romantic, and that was the reason why Ireland played Poland so often.
1: Well, was it love at first sight or lust at first sight? <laughs> well, which one? Which one? Um, oh, and moving
2: swiftly. Oh, no, I've got two more. I've got, yeah. I've got two. Right, so that's confirmed. Yeah. Number two, yeah. there's a suggestion about the Chile trip in 1974 that Eamon Dunphy tried to encourage everybody not to go on the chilly trip by handing out leaflets at the training ground in Crystal Palace, and then somebody got injured, and he got called up and he went.
1: Uh, <laughs> John Giles, I don't forget that, yes. He was was going on about that and whatever. And he was saying. Sorry, this is the Pinochet
2: regime. uh, He he wanted the the team to to boycott the 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 Pinochet regime.
1: A lot of people were killed in the stadium and all that uh, under that that insurrection. uh, um, But uh, yes, that's true. And I don't forget, John Giles just said to him, he says, We're we're leaving now for the airport. Are you coming to play for Ireland or are you staying here? Make your decision. Make your mind up now and don't be jumping on the bus. That was it. Okay. And then he went. He he came, yeah.
2: Last one. (laughs) So we're two out of three. Now, we heard a story about your appointment as manager, right? And the story is that it was between you and Paddy Mulligan. And it came down to one vote. Because one FAI official was convinced that Paddy Mulligan had thrown a bun at him on a team bus.
1: Well, uh, I actually met Paddy recently there at a, 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 kind of a thing I was at in Dublin there about two months ago, after one of the internationals, and uh, we were talking about that. And Paddy to this day swears that that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he swears that if he hadn't thrown that bun, he would have got the job of Ireland manager when I got... And I say, well, you know, then it was a costly bun to throw, Paddy. You know, was it worth it? Would you throw it again? He said, I'd throw a flipping pie at them. <laughs> OK, yeah.
0: um, thank you for clearing that up. Um, Owen, yeah. moving, on, moving on to the... Your tenure as the Ireland manager uh, was in, in many ways, uh, very exciting and, and, and quite a successful uh, time. Um, I know it, it didn't end ultimately uh, satisfactorily for you, uh, and that was hard. But but the first few years and the '82 campaign with that team that we had for the World Cup qualification in in Spain in '82, that was a a really exciting time. There was some really, really good players, wasn't there?
1: Oh, yes. We had some very, we had really good players. I mean, we, you know, you think about Liam Brady with Mark Lawrence and John Devine with David Langen. We had Seamus uh, McDonough. We had um, Frank Stapleton. We had Steve Highway. We had Ronnie Whelan came into it. We had a very good team, you know, but a very, very skillful team. And, I mean... It's been re- revealed since, by the way, that uh, we should have qualified for a stay in '82.
0: Oh, I know that. Uh, I know we, we, we'll get on to that. Those aspects of it yeah. I- in a sec, but just.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, the that team itself was back. really,
0: really, really skillful.
1: Oh yes, it was. A, we were a very good footballing side, uh, attractive to watch, but with a toughness in it's, it's as well, another great player for yeah. Tony Greenish. He was. We him the Viking. You know, because he had that beardy, like that. He's a tough man. He played yeah. like that. He's a warrior. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was an excellent player. Uh, Mark, and Lawrence, Mark Lawrence was a gem, a gem of a player.
0: That's right.
2: Yeah. He, he, Ronnie Reedham was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he said that the standard of the pitch in and Road didn't help.
1: No. It was just great. I used to actually go and. and, and before the games, I try and uh, insist on the f. Please get the pitch rolled or whatever. Get it, get it cut. Get the grass cut. Now, okay. When Jack came in, he did quite the opposite. Yeah. He wanted it rough because he did not want a passing. Mm-hmm. But that's a different story. But uh, no, uh, continuously rowing about that. But I mean, that was that was silly. That era that there wasn't much attention played to the surface of grounds that you have these days. You know, I mean, remember, the market field, for instance, when I was running in Limerick, I actually got my own moor out and went just to embarrass them and cut about a third of the pitch just to show there's the grass cut. You know, but Lansdowne, I would do the same. I would thought to the people then. and I'd say, "This would you please get the grass cut down to a, as low as possible and get the grass level because there'd be scrum areas where the rugby boys had been scrummaging and there'd still be all the, the holes and the dents from them. And you can imagine, like after rugby scrums in on a wet, on a wet day, uh, the condition of the pitch in areas would be shocking. So, yes, that's true.
0: One of the, the great uh, performances and, and, and results, although you quite a few, was uh, against France in, uh, in, I think, September 81, October 81, around then. Uh, and uh, we were 3-1 three, three up. Uh, and they had Platini, et al., lot, a lot of, uh, Rocheteau, a lot of very good players, um, and they would go on to get to the semi final of the World Cup uh, uh, a few months later. Um, and my understanding of it is, was when Plitini, it was Platini who got the goal to make it three two. He he pulled one back for for France, and that we ended up only going out on goal difference. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, it was goal
1: difference. No, it was. Goal difference. is draw in Belgium would have put us there, and either I think France would have been the one that was was, was knocked out, um, or Belgium. I'm not quite sure, but and the Holland was in that group as well. It was a really hard group, and we had done so very well in it that you know that kind of you know that particular that particular game actually. Seamus, when it was three two, France were kind of I mean they were the favourites going into it. There's no doubt about it. But we played a really good game, and uh, I mean, Seamus McDonough, I, I remember he made a great save from Bosis. I think it was or whatever. Bosis and Bosis, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, otherwise, it would have been three-three. But we held on for a great win there. And I mean, everybody who was at that game remembers it, you know, because it was a historic win. Yeah. And that, as far as we were concerned, that was the win that that was bringing us to Spain. You know, we still had Belgium to play away. But uh, you know, we know what happened there. I mean, you know, that's that's.
0: Well, to people who might know that story, and <clears throat> I remember watching it, and so do many people, and it was very traumatic. You tell us what happened that night.
1: Well, we had heard rumours that this uh, Nazare uh, was was uh, the Portuguese referee. We'd heard rumours, and Mickey Walsh was playing in Portugal, our forward, and he said that this guy he lives in Douglary or whatever, and he shouldn't with his, his, his job. is he's, he's, he, There's no way. And so the rumour is that he's, he's a bent referee. He takes money. And so we knew that. And in fact, I remember saying to the players, I said, lads, be very careful with this referee, with his reputation that Nick has told you about. Uh, I mean, he will be inclined to give strange decisions. But we didn't realise the gravity of those decisions mm-hmm. because we played very well and, we went one up to Frank Stapleton. I'll never forget it. It was a, a goal that Arsenal kind of had. It was a Brady Stapleton thing, where Brady was on the right hand side of our penalty area, just out maybe outside the box on the uh, right hand side, and Liam Brady with his left foot would run up to take it, and uh, everybody would run towards the ball, like inside in the penalty area, but he'd stop, uh, and then he'd just take turn his back on the ball, and then. Walk back as if he was going to go back another eight yards or something like that. But after about two paces, he turned and then straight in. And, of course, Brady, uh, Stapleton knew this was going to happen. And, bump a free header, great goal. The referee looked at his linesman looked at, and then disallowed it. And we just said, what the hell? He, the first thing, he was about five yards onside. And there was absolutely no way. Uh, he didn't even go to the linesman. He just disallowed it. Now, that left to the middle now. And then towards the end of the game, he'd given other stupid things. Uh, Eric Gerrits was there right back. And Steve Highway was playing for us. And Steve went into Gerrits. And, of course, next thing is, Gerrits went over, trying to get into the penalty area to get a penalty. But it couldn't be given because it was well outside the penalty area. But a fellow called van der Rijken took this free kick, which never was a free kick. And now the game is about three minutes from time or something like that. And uh, uh, he took this with his left foot and it put over a wall and it hit the top of the crossbar and went right up in the air. And then came down and Coulamance came in and put both his hands on Seamus McDonough's shoulders, on each shoulder, and pushed him down and headed into an empty net. One-nil. Well, we were just livid. And I went to the referee after, out onto the pitch. I said, we heard about you. You have taken money you have been bribed to throw this game. Now, what I said to him, he should have sent me off and reported me. He just said, go away, go away. We came back in the dressing room and we were just absolutely devastated because we knew that this was vital. And it turned out that it was. It cost us uh, Spain. And uh, the irony of that, by the way, was that Jack Charlton was there as an observer. And he came in, he, he, he says, oh, lads, I've never seen such robbery you guys were robbed. I'll be reporting that referee. But, I mean, it was nobody could prove. It was his decision. In fact, there was a, a Sunday Times reporter, went to, Paul Highland, I think it was, uh, went out with uh, the video of the game to this referee afterwards, many years later, and said to him, can you justify your decisions you made in this game? And your man just says, no, that was offside. He said, well, you can see, look, look. And then he says, and what about the free kick at the end? And he says, well, where's the foul? And he says... No, he did. He tripped him. And he just came away and he says, my God, he's a liar. Well, it was revealed uh, subsequently, I think it was the Telegraph in England, uh, because there was a huge scandal that was going on in Belgian club football. That's right. And uh, Garrett, who
0: them. you mentioned, he was involved, was well, he? Yeah,
1: that's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, But it was proven that this guy had taken money for that game. He had taken money to throw the game and make sure that Belgium won. And then we were just devastated because, I mean... All of our players deserve to go because they were and they were all at the peak of their careers at this mm. stage. You know the likes mm. of the Staples, the Bradys, the, the Lawrence, and so. And they deserve to go. You know that's why I was delighted when those who were still around when Jack qualified uh, made us at least got to a, a World Cup. Although Liam wasn't treated very well by Jack, um, but anyway, that's another story. But th- does, it, I mean, does it, does it hurt to me, looking talking back on it? Yeah, I, yeah. well I'm looking back on it. And even now, I feel kind of cheaper. as what if. Yeah. I mean, we would have gone to Spain, and we know that Northern Ireland had a particularly good World Cup in Spain. Well, we would have, we'd have better side. Yeah. We'd have had a great World Cup. And, by, and then the other big thing about that was, it's, it would be the first time that we'd had a right training session, a camp, because you'd have to have a camp going to uh, a, to World, a Cup. World Cup. In other words, we'd have all our players together for a long time before the games before the first game particularly, and then through all the games. So that would have been a huge, huge boost to Irish football. Mm. It was all taken away by the I don't
2: remember that game because I was born in 76, right? So, so I don't remember that game. Yeah. But yeah. in doing the tour and talking to people of a certain generation, I think there needs to be almost, like there's a certain generation of, of, of Irish football fan who is so traumatized by that game it seems to have just sunk itself into their memory either as, as a child watching it or as an adult watching it that they will never ever forget the sense of injustice and I might like we talked to Paul Rouse, the, 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 the sporting historian, uh, professor of history. he said it was the first game he ever watched. He said he was dumbfounded. He came from a real GA background, but this was a seminal moment in Irish football and mm-hmm. everybody seemed to be watching this game and it was a great side and you had them playing great football and it was a great sense of belief. but it seems to have traumatized a whole generation of, of well, Irish football fans. Like, d- 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 does it follow you yeah, around? people mind, keep asking you about Irish that
1: football. game? Yeah, but never mind Irish football fans. It trauma- I mean, it, it affected us. Mm. Because we had a relatively unsuccessful next campaign, Mm. you know, immediately after that. We were so devastated by that. And we, because we'd put, and everybody had put so much into that campaign for Spain, that the next campaign, we were still feeling the flipping effects of it. You know, that we should have been in Spain. Spain, You know, particularly when at that stage, too, Northern Ireland had had huge success, our rugby team had had huge success and there we were and we should have been allowed given be given the opportunities to, to show our good team that we had uh, and that's why i think those really good strong football people who remember it feel, still feel kind of traumatized as you say yeah
0: it wasn't the only game uh, that we were the recipient of bad decisions as well on that campaign isn't that right
1: that's true I, well, mean, I mean, France and Paris. So yeah. Yes, yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it, I mean, it's an awful pity VAR wasn't around because it, could, it couldn't happen now. Yeah. <laughs> There's mm. too many cameras there. There's too many visual shots from all different angles. It just put can't happen now. But <laughs> I actually think that the FAI had a lot to do with it because I know that, say, I think the word within... The, the refereeing society or whatever you want to call it, was that you know, referees that came to Ireland were not treated well. They were treated shabbily. They were treated shabbily. You know, they were put in maybe cheap accommodation and I would know that and I'd say, my God, the ref is not, they're not staying there. You know So I would think that that kind of was a spin-off from that, that officials just weren't, they didn't want to help Ireland. You know yeah. It was a decision to be made it, and it was anyway doubtful Right, it would go against Ireland. It would go against Ireland. Because a lot of the other countries too, and this is also a fact, never mind the Belgian thing, but a lot of the other countries, when the officials would arrive in their country, they would be met at the airport with a um, a limousine. Mm. They'd be taken to a five-star hotel. And then in some cases I heard, anecdotally, that they were saying, your trip will be, your good trip, if you have a really good trip, you will be given a lovely present leaving the country. Now, that means please be fair you know, be fair to us. And I've heard of stories where, you know, play, uh, refs were given Mercedes type of things on leaving the country because, you know, that stuff could go on. But, I mean, to me, the whole highlight of that was certainly Nazare, the Portuguese referee in that game against Belgium, you know. And that summed up that era, uh, which was really, oh, my God, you know, as, as you say, you know, it led to us having huge kind of after
0: effect on us yeah. and then all the supporters and
1: all that kind of thing yeah and i know that and to this day to this day is the same with me i still say god
0: what if what if what if uh although you know you, you were very complimentary to the whole jack charton time and you, you you don't sound like a man who's got who, who carries you know bitterness as uh, 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 such but you did uh and you mentioned it in your book you know you you, you kind of emotionally it affected you badly didn't it the the subsequent sort of be, uh been let go in 85 after the 80, 80 85 86 campaign and so on and uh, you 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 by your own admission you spent quite a bit of time you know talking to anybody who'd listen uh, as i think you said to me one day uh, and kind of possibly drinking a bit too much and things like that is it that that is Am I right in assuming that that's what happened?
1: Sorry, that that's what happened. Sorry, I missed that part. that's what's what that's what happened.
0: You did that, that uh, in your book. You mentioned the fact that you know emotionally it took its toll upon you. Um, how how unfortunate the whole thing was, and that uh, maybe you, you and you you mentioned it to me before that maybe you spent a little bit too much time to kind of washing your sorrows away?
1: Well, yeah, 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 I think so, because it, it was a huge, huge, uh, you know, I mean, they really were a good team and very good players and very committed players, and I put so much into it too. I mean, I always went to see opposition. I studied them. I put an awful lot of analysis into it, and the players knew what to expect from the opposition, which was a kind of a new thing, Um which is another story too. I mean, being been assisted by the FAI to be able to go and watch that opposition, whatever the game was before, and all that kind of thing. But uh, no, I mean, the thing that people say to me, were you not, were you jealous of Jack? And and that's the furthest from my mind because first and foremost, I I'm an Irish man. I support Ireland, and for Ireland to do well at anything, any sport, I I'm happy. And so it was great for some of those lads that I had introduced in the game that were able to uh, you know, experience uh, success. Like Mick McCarthy is a great example, you know. Um, you know exa- he is probably a really good example. And, uh, you know, OK, Jack needed a bit of luck. You know, he needed Romania being beaten by Scotland, mm. uh, which mm-hmm. was a huge trope of luck. In fact, that's funny because prior to that match, Ireland. There were there been a lot of criticism of the way the Jack played it, which was the up and under game and put under pressure and all that kind of thing. But uh, I had gone to Saudi Arabia um, out of necessity. I couldn't get work anywhere else. But it was good. I mean, it was an awful thing leaving my family and all that. But I'll never forget an FAI official ringing me and saying, "We're getting rid of Charlton." This is before the Romania Scotland match, and uh, a Bulgaria Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, do you want to put your name in the, in the ring? And I said, no, no, I have done my stint. I'm sorry, I just, I've done my stint, I'm moving on with my life. No, and I didn't. And Jack was being removed from the position. And then Romania beat Scot- uh, Scotland, beat Romania. Uh, Mackay, goal, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mackay, uh, Gary Mackay. Yeah. Gary Mackay, It was and against Bulgaria, yeah. That was a freak, a freak goal, a freak result. Yeah. Because Romania had never, they had never dropped a point at home for twenty-five years or something like that. <laughs> All of a sudden, and Jack wasn't even interested in the game because it was taken for granted that they, we wouldn't, we wouldn't qualify. Yeah. All of a sudden, we were. So, and, so you're you know, saying
0: that they were planning on getting rid of Charlton?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's oh, First yes. time I've heard that. Before that, yes. Before that game, the FAI were definitely getting rid of Jack prior to that because the, his his first campaign was an popular one because of mm. the style of football. It was. And it was football people ringing me says we won't go. <laughs> and the attendances were down because of that. And, we, you know, we, we put them under pressure. Lansdowne Road was made rough. And uh, the pitch was narrowed deliberately to facilitate <laughs> that long ball game. Um, and it was just, you know, you ask any football person there, they said, no, they wouldn't. Do John Giles is a good example. John Giles. John says, "I can't watch Ireland playing under Jack." And I know, I know, I knew, that, I knew he'd be playing that way. And the like of uh, Shay who played for Manchester United. He was another one I'll never forget. He says, oh, "I can't, I can't watch Ireland under Jack."
0: And there was a nice
1: lot of football people at that stage, and but of course, all of a sudden qualifying for, you know, uh, the World Cup, and then the big thing. Then that's where the bonus of having the lads together and all that, and the unity that came into the squad and then beaten England at mm. Stuttgart, that's when it really took off, you know, and then, you know, it really was. And it's amazing, like, the way a turn of a ball, a kick of a ball, Gary Mackay, uh, Jack Singwood, and, you know, when I look back, if you compare us out in Belgium, Jack with Romania and uh, Scotland, uh, you need that, you need things like oh, that yeah. happening somewhere along the way, you know. So, well, oh, and if if you, if you just get on with it, I mean yeah. you can't change
2: the past. If you if you were to look back, I mean exactly, you can't change the past, but I suppose as as football fans, like we love getting as close to the team um as we possibly can. You know, it's it's a fantastic honor to play for your country, to to manage your country is you know, there's only very few people do it as you say. It must have felt absolutely wonderful to to have that honor is there is there a moment you can pick out from either playing for your country or or managing your country or since that really that really stands out to you as being something that you're particularly proud of or you said you know something well you know that brother who gave me a hard time in 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 o'connell's
1: you know he's well no I mean, what stands out to me is uh, obviously scored the two goals for us. That stands out. Mm, yeah. But the, the one game that I had a really good game was against France again in uh, Dalyman Park, where we beat them 2 1. And I, I played midfield, and uh, I had a very good game. And uh, I made the second, the winning goal for Ray Tracy. Uh, and I forget it, like, I chased a hopeless ball out to their left-back position, and I won it off to left-back, and then I crossed it in, and Frank scored. A, yeah, I think uh, that was the first game
2: we we won in four years or something. Was it a big gap? I in, think it was. Yeah, I think it was. we didn't yeah. win a game in 69, 70, yeah. 70 or 71, and, yeah. and, and, and this yeah. was the, the breakthrough game of beating a big team like France.
1: It was a very important, and it was a huge result, and a big shock of us beating France, but I had a very good game in that. Uh, As did everybody, I mean, because to do do it, we all had to be at the top profile. And uh, it was that that stands out. That stands out. It was a great memory. But I mean, I think possibly another great memory is also when you get your first cap, I mean, which was uh, on Daily Mount against uh, Sheikh I think it was at the time. Um, But I mean, always representing your country and that the feeling of standing there and. uh, the National Anthem, Aaron Levine being song, or whatever, and I would sing it at the top of my voice, you know, a lot of our lads didn't know the words, and I'd be telling the words, you know. <laughs> is it true that like, Terry
0: Mancini said to the, 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 the English, uh, born out of played for Ireland, is it true that he turned around to somebody in the, in the uh, National Anthems and said, after Aaron Levine, and said, I hope I'll, I'm honest in his lung,
1: Sorry, say that again. I didn't catch
0: that. There was a story that does around that I think it was Terry Mancini that he heard the Irish uh, Irish National Anthem the first time he was playing Aaron Levine and then he turned to somebody beside him and said "Uh, I hope our National Anthem is missing his lung. Oh,
1: yeah, (laughs) that's right. Yeah, well, Henry, he starts to lip read it because I, I think I I said to I said to you know, I, so I said this be seen to be singing it when you for God's sake, you know, <laughs> and he was he 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 be, he be lip he be lips he be what you call it that uh, lip reading the thing yeah, like yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that, uh, yeah. Well, there anyway, you go well the uh,
2: last the, la- the last question we have for you sorry Owen because I know we've had taken up far too much of your time yeah the three nil win against USSR in 1974 right great win Don Graven's hat trick right. Now, I believe that you were in the taxi, <laughs> you, were in the, you, were, you were getting a taxi with Don Gibbons, with the match ball, am I right, outside the game, yeah. all right, the two of you yeah. had to get back to London quick, you yeah. had to get the flight, and you didn't shower, mucky gear under your mucky tracksuit, you get into the taxi, yeah. yeah, and Don Gibbons had just scored a hat-trick in, in Daneyman Park in front of thousands of people, and the taxi driver said, we you at the game, that true? no
1: actually, it was actually it wasn't a taxi. It was a it was a guy in a car. <laughs> he just he and he he actually saw us there, like, and we were tumbling because we say we were so desperate. That we had to get the flight because I had to get back to Portsmouth, with to get the qbr And we we were scruffy, we were this and that. We but anyway, we were waiting for a taxi or whatever. And there was a guy in a car stopped, and he says, "Hey." you've just been playing the game. It's only about what, five minutes after the end of the game or something like that. Yeah. And uh, we, all the people were coming out. We were running past them, and John Don had the ball under his, his, his arm or whatever, and he just scored the hat trick. And the, tech, the guy says, uh, yeah, he says, keep us. I said, uh, he, we just said, we, we've got to get to the airport. We've got to get to the airport. Like, Will you bring us so we can get a taxi whatever? He says, I'll bring you there. He says, my God, we were telling the story. And we made the flight. We just made the flight. And God, we look back on that, and we say, "Gee, when you think about it, you know." Well, that we, ever we, well
2: they go there you go. All the myths and legends you've confirmed, but the the, the story we heard was that somebody just, you got in the back of the taxi, and the fellow says, "Asked, um, were well, you at the game, lads? That's what we had heard. So maybe that, that one isn't true. But in terms of the, the well, Polish, uh, sorry,
1: sorry, what
2: well, wasn't true? Uh, uh, we had heard that the the fellow who, d- who drove you in the car had turned to the two of you and asked, "Had you, were you at the game? Never mind, had you played the game?"
1: Oh, so yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think. Yeah, well, he. Yeah, I think so. He was just fellow and we were just kind of, you know, two. See, so it was just a day. randomer who <laughs> picked you up on the side of the
2: street. There you go, lads. That that was that was the glory of the, of the game back back in the seventies. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah,
1: sure, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but that, that's 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 the way it was. Yeah. I mean, you had to if you had to get something done, you did it. Mm. Yeah, and again, the organisation behind it was just oh, stop. It was just absolutely pathetic. I mean, when I think now, I mean oh my God, the way that everything is kind of put in the place. Now there's chefs and there's physios and there's this and that. There's, there's a whole staff behind us, about 10 or something behind every manager yeah. now, Irish manager. You know, it's a totally different world. Mm. And uh, like I say, me managing Ireland, I think I start. yes I do, I know, I started on 12,000 a year. I mean, I think Stephen is about 520 or something now. <laughs> like that. Uh, but, I mean, again, getting back to it, it didn't matter. I, if it was flipping one grand a year, I wouldn't have bothered because it's been been given that honor of managing your country. I was just, uh, that, that was it. it. It was a bonus being given whenever I was given twelve. I think it was twelve grand a year, and uh, and that was it. I was delighted. I was delighted, and that was, you know, the honor of doing it was the big thing.
0: Well, simpler time zone and a, a beautiful attitude you have. Uh, you gave us. Your team, particularly for the 82 World Cup, you gave us great joy and we were unlucky um, and you were unlucky. But nonetheless, it'll, be, it'll linger long in the memory, that fine team.
1: Yeah, but can I say, OK, fine. I mean, sure, I went through bad times and whatever, but I can still look back and say, my God, I had a great life. You know, mm, I, And football great. gave me that. Football well, gave me that. Well, and, and I mean, like I say, the education of traveling to all different countries, all paid for, you know, yeah. to do something that you love. Oh, my gosh, that's, that's,
0: that's really... That's a, that's a victory, Owen. Owen, thank you very, very much. An honour, Owen. Thanks so much for your time so thank you for
2: listening that was the uh, football talking tour podcast with myself on the Reardon, and yourself gary cook so our football walking tour you can go on to littlemuseum.ie to find out about the south side one football tour at gmail.com for the north side one and on twitter we're at football tour dub <laughs>